Hi everyone, this is Katty from Bookprint. In our last episode, we got the amazing opportunity to speak with Nick Turner from New Zealand. Nick is a sustainability behavior change expert, speaker, and founder of Mainstream Green. Her fascination about human behavior started with a successful career in the fast-moving consumer goods area. In the episode, we learn from Nick's insights on mindful consumption, personal behavior change, and much more. After giving a short talk, Nick is joined by Footprint co-founder Daniel Schultz for an inspiring and open discussion. Enjoy. Hi everybody, I'm, I'm Daniel from Footprint. Um, we are hosting today a live conference together with uh, Nick Turner, all the way from New Zealand. Hi Nick. Hi. Doing great. I would hand straight over to you. The stage is yours, feel free. And um, I'm super excited. Thanks Daniel, it's, I'm stoked to be here. And I will try and talk as slowly and clearly as possible because I appreciate the New Zealand accent can, can take a little bit of, bit of getting used to. So hopefully you can, you can translate. So I want to start by telling you a little bit about my story, I guess, what's got me to the point to be, to be sitting here in my home in Cambridge on, on the other side of the world talking to you guys. So I spent about 15 years of my career working in the fast moving consumer goods industry. So my job was really all about shopper insight and shopper marketing. So understanding how we behave as shoppers, predominantly in the supermarket, in the supermarket world. And a lot of my job was looking at kind of all that transactional data. Uh, we would do things like pay people to go shopping with them, follow them around the supermarket with a clipboard and just watch what they did. Super interesting, but slightly awkward and weird at the same time. We, uh, we also had, in some of the bigger markets I worked in, we had virtual reality shopping labs and we'd pay people to come in and, and same thing, kind of observe how they'd interact with, with the, the, the virtual store and put tracking glasses on them to see where their eyes went on the shelves, all sorts of things. So, and then we'd, we'd take all of that insight, all of that understanding of shopper behavior and then use it to orchestrate things to get people to consume more. So very much a, a case of more is more. And the funny thing is I, I really loved my job. I found it super interesting. I got paid really well. I got the company car. I got the overseas travel and the international postings. I worked with really cool, super smart people. But then something happened in my personal life that kind of set things off on a bit of a different trajectory. And that was my husband, Mike, started getting mild dermatitis on the ring finger on his left hand. So it sounds so insignificant, but it was that really small kind of thing that happened that set life, our lifestyle off on a really different direction. So it kind of opened up this journey for us to really question how could we reduce our toxic load? How could we reduce the amount of synthetic chemicals that we were using in terms of what we were putting on our skin? So we really started on this journey by just looking at the products we were using and questioning if we really needed them and if we did, was there a better choice we could make from an ingredients point of view? And then it kind of evolved from that to the products that we're using around us, like our cleaning products. It then evolved to the food we were eating. And then somewhere along the line, it was like, well, this is better for our own well-being, but it's also better from an environmental point of view because we're washing a lot less, you know, synthetic chemicals down the drain. We're buying a lot less products. So we reduced our packaging quite a lot. So I started going further down that rabbit hole. What else was in our rubbish bin that we could reduce? And then it moved on to kind of our bigger relationship with stuff, all that other stuff that we had in our life. So furniture and clothes and kids' toys and all those sorts of things and, and started focusing on that as well. So it's been probably about an eight-year journey so far. And we're now at a point where, as a family of four, so I have two 
young children. As a family of four, we use over 400 less synthetic chemicals in our home and on ourselves every day. We got rid of over 20,000 items out of our home. We put out, you know, we use significantly less electricity and water and we put out the equivalent of one wheelie bin of rubbish a year. The awesome thing, like the thing that's really surprised me about all this is that it's actually fundamentally made life a lot simpler. We've saved a heap of time, we've saved a heap of money, and we've significantly reduced our impact on the environment. And it didn't start out this way, but it really became a journey of questioning every aspect of our consumption. You know, because to me, our consumption is, is really everything when it comes to our impact. It's the stuff that we buy, it's the food that we eat, it's the car that we drive or don't drive, you know, it's the holidays that we take or don't take, especially at the moment, you know, it's the, it's the waste we create. Essentially, for me, our consumption becomes our footprint. Mm -hmm. And I sort of realised that in my personal life, I'd kind of flipped and reversed everything I believed in terms of consumption. And it got to the point where I was really struggling to reconcile those two things. I kind of had these, this, these personal values around consumption and then these professional values around consumption and they just got to the point where they were too divergent. But I didn't want to throw everything out. So instead of, you know, now instead of understanding shopper behavior to get people to consume more, I'm all about understanding human behavior to get people to consume less. And ironically, it's a really similar approach. It just has what I consider to be a slightly better outcome. <laughs> so, so as a result of this kind of thinking, I started a social enterprise called Mainstream Green. And Mainstream Green is all about creating behavior change around the way we consume. I work with councils, I work with organizations and businesses, and I work with individuals. And it's all about getting them to be more conscious of their Im impact and finding really simple ways to change their habits, change their behavior and reduce it. And it's all done with this lens of behavior change over it. Because as humans, just because we know the right thing to do, it doesn't mean we actually do it. You know, a great example is diet and nutrition, right? We all, we all know what we should do. But this big gray area, this big complexity of human behavior kind of gets thrown over that. So we need to learn to navigate that to, to successfully create change. And I do that in various ways. I do a lot of consulting. I also do a lot of events, a lot of speaking events and run campaigns and create content. The kind of the, the umbrella that I throw over everything that I talk about is mindful consumption. So how do we become more mindful of how and what we're consuming? And I guess some of the, the key kind of principles or premises that, that I use within that, the first one is how do we really reconnect with the value of things? Because I think over time we've, we've, we've lost that. And I, I'll use an example like bottled water. So bottled water's become really kind of the, the plastic pollution and the waste side of it has quite a lot of visibility and engagement as it should. You know, people have become really aware of, of the impact of that and really conscious of that and a lot more engaged around it but quite often what we're disconnected with is all of the impact that's come before so if you take the example of bottled water and I don't have a bottle of uh, a plastic bottle of water here but if I use the drink bottle that I've got here before that landed if it was a bottle of, of bottled water that I bought before that landed in my hands what's probably happened is there's been a whole lot of you know there's been oil drilled from the ground to make the plastic 
that oil was probably shipped somewhere and there was impact from the, you know, getting the oil out of the ground and then there's kind of the transport impact of getting it somewhere to be turned into plastic and then there's the impact of that kind of manufacturing side of things. Then it's probably shipped somewhere to a manufacturing plant to be made into a bottle. The water is, I don't know, got from a spring somewhere, probably somewhere else in the world and shipped there and put in these bottles and then packaged up on a big pallet and probably wrapped in plastic and put on a ship to potentially come halfway around the world to then go on a truck to a distribution center to probably go on another truck to get to the retailer. I'd probably hop in my car to drive there to buy this bottle of water. So, so much of the impact of that bottle of water has come before. You know, and we often lose sight of that and the way we consume, if we think about the way we consume that bottle of water, we maybe pay a dollar for it, we drink it within a really short space of time and then hopefully we throw that bottle in the recycling, but you know, maybe, maybe not. So the value that we're put in it is really underestimating the true impact that's come before that. So how do we really reconnect with that true value of things? Because I think if we do that, it helps us make better choices, right? It helps us make us value things more and, and kind of shrug, shrug off that, that shroud of disposability that we've really fallen into. Another premise that I really work on is how do we really create a new normal when it comes to consumption? So again, we've kind of really fallen into this, this cycle of more is more when it comes to our consumption you know, houses and, you know, it's all about the, the bigger house, the newer house, the latest car, the latest sneakers, whatever it might be. How do we really break that, that, that belief is, is more is more? Because I think what we often lose sight of is the negative impacts of more. You know, the phenomena that is Marie Kondo wouldn't exist if there weren't negative impacts of more, right? Because people feel really cluttered and overrun with stuff and that has impacts on our emotional well-being. Um, it can be, you know, a really big sense of overwhelm and all those sorts of things. Our personal debt, you know, household credit card debt is really high because we're paying, you know, spending a lot of money to buy all of this, this stuff and upgrade all of these things that we have. So I really believe in, and that's really been on that personal journey for us is really kind of switching our thinking and breaking up with that, that concept of more is more when it comes to our consumption. Uh, I really believe in kind of switching on consciousness when it comes to our consumption. We tend to uh, have fallen into quite an autopilot with our consumption. If we need something, we buy it. If we're done with it, we throw it away. I talk a lot about taking a micro pause. So before you need something, you know, before I buy something or go to consume something, it's this micro pause to go, do I really need it? Do I really want it? And if I do, that's totally fine. But then can I make a better choice? You know, as opposed to just defaulting to, I want it, I need it, I'll buy it. Going, do I? If I do, cool. Can I make a better choice that works for, that works for me, that suits me and where I'm at? So, but it starts with that consciousness, right? It starts with that mindfulness around our consumption. And then I also, I, I sort of mentioned behavior change before. So behavior change, science, I kind of use that to inform some of my work. It, it, it's, the, it's the academia that kind of recognizes the complexity of human behavior, right? And that we are complex. So that tells us things like, if we're, if we're trying to make a change, it's gotta be easy. <laughs> it's gotta be really easy. If we're trying to make a change, it's gotta be appealing. You know, we've gotta to want to do it, or there's gotta be a good outcome. You know, all of those kind of really simple building blocks that if we're going, I wanna get from here to here, and I've got to navigate the reality of being human, what are the tools I can do, I can use to do that? And then lastly, you know, I do what I do because I fundamentally believe in the ripple effect of change. You know, we're never just one person doing one thing. 
And so often we will never know the impacts of, you know, if, if we change one thing, we will never actually understand the full impact of that and how far that will actually ripple out. Uh, you know, I use a really simple example of I'll often take a plate. Ironically, I often forget my container when I go for sushi. So I'll just grab a plate from the office and take my plate and without fail, at least one other person in the queue will go, oh, that's a good idea. And it helps normalize it for them, you know, and next time you go, maybe I've brought their own plate and maybe one person will notice them and then they'll feel, you know, empowered to do it and less awkward because it's, you know, it's helped normalize it. And it's that knock-on effect that mm. I fundamentally believe is, you know, it's what got us here and it's what can get us out as well. So I guess to sum it up, you know, I really believe that creating a shift in the way we approach consumption can be a really powerful force for change. Mm -hmm. that's great thank you so much for all these insights Nick really really amazing and, and mind-blowing how you kind of changed your your way from uh, your original job of trying to increase consumption right to go all the way to the opposite and trying to <laughs> lower consumption right that's that's really really uh, super interesting and um, I, I also find like the, the things you say, for example, especially these couple of questions you, you mentioned is actually something super easy. Everybody could implement directly in their daily lives. Like if you like how, how much things are we actually buy, buying per day? You probably can. You probably know more. Um, what's the statistics here? How much people do consume every day? But if you ask yourself this kind of question every time before you do, it would be a tremendous effect, wouldn't it? Yeah, and it's really, like, it sounds complex, but it's just become second nature to me. It's just kind mm. of that, okay, I'm, you know, I feel like I want to buy something or I've seen something and I like it and I want to buy it. It's just become second nature to go, actually, do I? You know, it's just really yeah. breaking that. Yeah. It is, it's just, it's just a, a, a switch of consciousness. That's all it is. Um, because life's busy, right? And so much of our mental energy happens in the subconscious or the unconscious. It has to, yeah. right? Yeah. We're getting <laughs> um, so it's just nudging it up into the conscious mind for a little while until it becomes mm. habit to go, actually, you know, how do I take that micro pause or how do I just think a little bit differently before I default to buying something or consuming it? But that's probably the, the things we need to, or we must address actually the first nudging of, getting that kind of habit to like if, if i compare it with myself in the supermarket i normally know the stuff i'm, I'm normally buying so i keep doing it right mm. and probably that's what what we need to address yeah just that really habitual um yeah the habitual choices that you make right yeah and i mean a lot of people will talk to me um you know if they're trying to change habits like okay you know i shop at the supermarket I had one, one, one woman who had come to one of my speaking events and afterwards she messaged me and she's like, I've just spent three hours at the supermarket because she was looking at every product she was buying. And I'm like, oh no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, even if every time you go to the supermarket, you're like, you know what? I'm going to choose one product each time I go to the supermarket and look at that product a little bit differently, be conscious wow. of the choice I'm making and go, actually, can I make a, a better choice or a different choice? You know, and I often use the example of toilet paper, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you, cause you probably always go, oh, that's the toilet paper I get, or that's, I get the toilet paper that's on special, you know, whatever, whatever your default is. It's like, okay, maybe next time go and stand in front of the toilet paper 
section in the supermarket and go, can I make a better choice? And maybe it's going, you know what? I'm going to buy double length toilet paper because it's twice as much toilet paper in the same amount of plastic. So you just have to plastic packaging. Maybe I'm going to buy toilet paper that's locally made. Maybe I'm going to buy toilet paper that's not perfumed because that's a whole lot of synthetic chemicals that you don't need. Maybe I'm going to buy toilet paper that's made out of recycled, obviously not recycled toilet paper, it's made out of recycled paper. But you know, all of those are better choices. And it's probably two minutes extra on, you know, per shopping trip where you're standing in front of each different product going, how can I do that differently? And then it's not, not so overwhelming. And that sounds like a tip, which is completely uh, uh, realizable, right? Two extra minutes, let's say, per, per time shopping, and you just have one other item which you choose the next time consciously. Yeah. And you think, this time I know, huh? This time I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I can nudge that one down into the subconscious. And, and, and yeah, I think it's really important to focus on one small change at a time because I think if you try and do too much, it becomes really overwhelming and it can just paralyze you into doing nothing. And, you know, I always say to people, start with the easiest, start with the low-hanging fruit, the easiest, quickest change you can make. Because if you make it, if it's really easy, you're way more likely to do it. You'll make that change and then you'll feel really good about it. And then you'll be motivated to do another one. And that's totally how our journey's been. It's been one small change at a time. That's all it's been. And then you kind of stop and look back and you're like, man, we've, we've come a really long way, but it hasn't felt like a big deal. I can imagine. Like, I was wondering before you said... Um, you change the way you consume and in the end we consume uh, much less money uh, and time-wise also and I was like wondering at the first uh, uh, moment like okay but it takes super long to inform yourself about all that uh, that the choices but now I, I can somehow relate more to what you said before yeah and I think also um I really believe in demystifying the concept of convenience because a lot mm. of people will sort of say to me, oh, but I can't, you know, I just pop to the shops and pick up something because it's the fastest thing to do. Mm -hmm. and, and I sometimes like to challenge that. And, you know, the example I use is supermarkets. Like when I was growing up in New Zealand, supermarkets were open Monday to Friday and Saturday mornings. That mm -hmm. was it, you know, and they were open from nine o'clock till 4.30, I think. And now they're open seven days a week and some of them are open 24 hours a day, right? Mm -hmm. And on average, New Zealanders will go shopping to the supermarket multiple times per week. So it's kind of pitched to us that supermarkets are open all the time because it's more convenient, but we, because they're open all the time, we just go all the time. And that's not mm -hmm. more convenient. We're actually spent, or, you know, you drive past the shopping malls on the weekend and the car parks are, are rammed, you know, or people are browsing shopping site you know shopping sites in, in the evenings while double screening watching netflix you know like we spe we're spending so much more of our lives shopping for things shopping for things to save us time which just is really <laughs> is quite ironic or spending a lot of our time you know i was talking about marie kondo before right we're spending a lot of our lives looking after and maintaining and sorting out the stuff that we have so from a time saving point of view yeah like i alluded to we've saved so much time like having less stuff yeah. and going shopping way less often has just saved us a phenomenal amount of time mm. makes life lighter somehow yeah so it? much lighter yeah it's a nice, <laughs> nice way of putting it yeah you mentioned like the way we consume do you see any any changes any recent changes in the way we we consume stuff and buy stuff 
Yeah, I think like there's definitely been in any kind of, you know, consumer reports or anything you see, there's definitely, a, you know, a real kind of sea change around what's classified as sustainable consumption. So people buying, you know, um, more mindfully around packaging or local or especially, you know, especially now there's been a real resurgence in local free range, all those sorts of things. So, yes, I definitely think there is, you know, that continues to rise. Mm-hmm. But I think what hasn't what also continues is that our consumption continues to to grow all the time (laughs) so i think it's you know what we can't do is we can't consume our our way out of this so just because you know and a lot of the stuff i talk about is very much i reducing your impact is not about buying more sustainable products it's about buying less (laughs) and we're not you know we the consumer trends are still showing that we're just consuming more and more. Yes, we are consuming better, but we're consuming more and more. And I think that's the thing we fundamentally need to see a but, shift on. But, but that is really somehow really interesting, right? On the one hand side, awareness about sustainability is increasing tremendously. Like it's all the time in the news, so many articles about people are going to uh, on the streets and demonstrating. While on the other hand, like consumption is also going up. Mm. Is that not kind of a, a, a misconception of the whole thing? Yeah, I think it is. And I think it's, um, it's because, one, I think there's awareness and visibility is really, really good, you know, in terms of it's increasing all the time. But that doesn't necessarily create the right type of behavior change. Hmm. So a lot of people that I will talk to are kind of like, yep, I really want to do the right thing. Um, you know, they really believe that they need to do the right thing, but translating that to, well, what does that look like for me in my day-to-day life or how do I actually create change or, you know, how do I actually change my habits is, is kind of a real big disconnect yeah. um, as well. And, yeah, and I also think that whole, you know, reconnecting people with the, that true value of, the true impact and true value of things is a really big part of that as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been a lot of focus on plastic and, and waste and that's, all, that's awesome. You know, it's, that's really exciting. But we, you know, how do we, we keep that journey going so that we're reconnecting with the true value of things before that as well. That, that one you mentioned in, in your, uh, beforehand in your talk as well, to reconnect with things and understand the, the real value behind it. Could yeah. you elaborate a bit on that, what you mean? made before the the example with the toilet paper so concrete so maybe there is like how can we understand that in a Mm. yeah i mean i i like our consumptions become really linear right what's often you know referred to as the take make waste approach where we where we take we buy something and what's a good example i talked about the bottled water before um right it might even be clothing right like i look at kids clothing I have young children, the quality of clothing, you know, fast fashion, obviously it's really cheap. You almost buy it like it's disposable, right? You, yeah. you, it's really low value. Um, so you don't, you don't feel heavily invested in it. So if it gets a hole in it, it's no big deal to throw it away. Whereas if you, you know, I think about when I was growing up and I, I don't know if you have, if you call them corduroys over there, but corduroys were very in fashion back then. So we had these corduroy trousers that I think I was probably the fourth child to wear them. You know, it was kind of my cousins and then it was my brother and Mm. then it was me. And if they got a hole in them, mum would fix them, you know, and Mm. they kept, so you, 
because they would have cost a lot of money back then as well, right? So it's like, okay, we keep these trousers going for as many children as we possibly can and we fix them or we hem them or, you know, we cut them off to become short. So there's there's a lot of value. There's a lot of invested value in there and, and often it would have been, been financial, but I think also it needs to be that impact-wise as well because if we just think about things of, okay, I, I don't see a lot of value in them. If something goes wrong with them, it's no big deal. I'll throw them away and that creates yeah. that whole linear approach. Whereas if you think about, okay, this pair of pants as a child, it's like, we're going to keep those going around and around and around and around as, yeah, as yeah. much as we can. Yeah. So thinking about things, not just in a, in a monetary way, but also in a way of what's the climate impact of this. Yeah. Did I get it right? Just to sum it yeah. up. Yeah. We have a couple of questions here coming in from the audience and I'd like to, to read one out loud or keep touching on them. Um, yeah. For the rest of the audience, if you have other questions, feel free to post them. I hope it, it, you by now you figured out how it works. Uh, as we have some coming in, I, I think most of, or, or you, you understood. Um, so the first one would be, how does budgeting play a part in behavioral change? Mm. Yes, it can play a really big part. So I, I think it's really important um, before you change your behaviors to really connect with why, why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to be super honest about that. So for example, my why on my journey was I was, we started the journey because we wanted to, it was better for our own personal well-being, right? My husband had a dermatitis. We were doing it from a physical well-being point of view was our motivation. My priorities now, whenever I'm making choices or decisions around how I'm going to change my behaviors uh, I'm doing it because for the well-being of my family mm. and I'm doing it because I want to um, reduce my impact and it has to for me it has to take the same amount of time or, and money or less otherwise I know it's not going to stick so that's kind mm. of my priority matrix when I'm finding a solution because there's always different ways of doing things right so but whenever I'm going okay I want to change this that's kind of the lens I throw over things. Whereas for some people that might be predominantly budget, right? So actually, I, and those two things go hand in hand. Generally, if you have a frugal approach to things, it will be a lower impact approach to things because you value things. You will keep, you know, you will keep things. You will buy less, you will buy better. Um, so frugality can often go with that, but it, it's just all about going, well, if that's your why, then it just, drives the solution or the change that you make so it's just the mm. lens that you throw over things so you know i think about the way that i source food for example and we predominantly buy in bulk because mm -hmm. it reduces our packaging waste but it also saves us a heap of money you know and it's also better for i'm buying whole foods and predominantly organic foods so it's better for the well-being of my family so i make that decision because that's you know that's my kind of priorities whereas if you're purely budget focused, you might go, okay, I really want to, you know, my priorities are budget and reducing my impact. Cool. I'm going to go to this wholesaler and buy, you know, buy my products from there because they're a whole lot cheaper and I can buy them in box and reduce my packaging waste. So um, yeah, budget, I found like budget was never a massive priority for me. It always had to kind of be there or thereabouts. I didn't want to spend a whole lot more money, but I wasn't doing it necessarily to save money, but I found that 95% of the time, it saved me money because mm -hmm. it just kind of comes cool. around along for the ride. And if you're applying that lens of consuming less, then you're going to save money. I, I like very much the, the, the point you said of having a 
reason for yourself behind it, like a, a, a purpose uh, uh, to, to have something a bit more meaningful, maybe like you said, or you mentioned with your family, that you basically have your family in mind when you make certain, mm. certain choices. For the audience, are there like other tips you could, or, or other dimensions you could recommend, which would be um, good dimensions of purpose people could integrate in their daily life and, and have in the back of their heads when making choices? Yeah, I mean, I find that the big main ones are money, environmental so i'm doing it to reduce my impact but i normally i believe that normally something else has to go along with that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so money environmental well-being so a lot of people i find you know health journeys kick off because there's a health you know they have some sort of health um challenges and same with us it's like um you know like we did with synthetic chemicals that a lot of people kind of do it through food where they're trying to eat better and then they're kind of you know learn more about eating seasonal and eating local and eating organic and all those sorts of things so uh money environmental health or well-being uh lifestyle so that kind of simplification aspect mm -hmm. of it mm -hmm. and what what it is for me but it's less common is the time aspect as well so i so i'll give you an example we um uh three years ago my new year's resolution was to only go supermarket shopping every six to eight weeks mm -hmm. and we continue to do that right because i'm like we spend a lot of our lives at the supermarket i don't want to do that anymore um so my motivation was saving time reducing packaging waste and um potentially saving money all right so Those were my motivations and we still continue to do it now. In the first year of doing it, we saved over $4,000. We reduced our packaging waste wow. by 90% wow. and we got, we got back two working weeks of time every year from not going to the supermarket. Really? You, you actually counted that? <laughs> I had a spreadsheet. <laughs> totally oh. a spreadsheet. <laughs> and, you know, that was, so that was maybe two, that was two and a half years ago now. And that made me go, man, I can save so much time. Mm -hmm. you know how, what else can I do so that became a really big motivation for me that, to kind of also dispel the myth that reducing your impact has to take more time because it, it doesn't so that's often a motivation for me is how do I find a solution that's going to take can take the same amount of time but ideally it's going to take less because that's a big, a big motivation as well so that means basically as soon as you realize that you saw all the rational reasons for it you you basically uh, kept following them and and kept doing them and and had probably total motivation to follow up on them as you saw all the rational points. Exactly, yeah. Why would you go back, right? Yeah, yeah why, why would you go back, right? Yeah. Why... Could, you, could you still uh, explain us a bit more? Because I think it's super interesting. Once, and maybe also a bit private, but uh, once you had this one moment where you said, okay, we have to change, right? We have to change the way we live and we have to, to change. And this is, such a, a decisive, decisive moment actually probably in your life. And um, when we, when I'm from an outside perspective, looking back now, this kind of didn't just change your life, but now you're also sharing this information with a lot of other people. So it is actually something really important. Can you tell us some, some more about it? How it exactly, um, like how that actually happened? So how I can't, how the change, the journey of change happened? The initial change, like afterwards, it was pretty rational, as you just explained yep. it. But the initial moment of change, like 
Mm. How come? And I, I, it's really funny because it wasn't anything dramatic. Like no. when I sort of started speaking, I'm like, what did start, what did start this journey? So I, I really had to kind of, you know, kind of retrace my steps. And even now I'm like, I need to make up something better than the fact it was like my husband's finger. Like that's really not mm. a very rock star moment. It was something, you know, it was something really insignificant. But it was it was just that 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 um because he, we just sort of went through all of the normal, you know, he's like, oh, I've got this and it's really annoying and I'm going to go to the doctor and the doctor gave him steroid cream and it fixed it, you know, within 24 hours. But then as soon as he'd stop using the steroid cream, it would come back. And somewhere in, you know, in the back of my mind was kind of, I'd read or heard something around the fact that through the products we use every day, we can be putting hundreds of synthetic chemicals you know, on ourselves, and I'm like, and something, you know, those two dots just kind of combined to go, I wonder if there's something in that, and yeah. so then it was like, uh, well, let's just change our hand soap, because that's the product that we use a lot, you know, washing your hand, and we had a young baby at the time, so you're washing your hands a lot, um, so let's just change that, and oh, okay, that seems to help, and so then it was just really this, it wasn't dramatic, it wasn't a lightning bolt, it was just kind of a slow process of making changes that felt really easy, uh, that seemed to make a difference. So it was still, it was very much that, what I was talking about before, that that one small change at a time. And I also like to refer to it as gateway behaviours. Right. You know, it can be really small and insignificant, but you do it and then you're like, oh, okay, what's next? You know, because yeah. that, that felt good. You know, and that wasn't hard. And it seems to have made a difference. So what's next? So it, it really was just this really subtle journey of just making one change after another. And I find it's the same in, in anything in life. Sometimes if you just pause and look back, you can go, oh man, I didn't feel like I'd done much, but I've actually come a really long way. And I think that's really good in terms of motivation as well, because it, it motivates you and inspires you to then, you know, go on and do more. So I encourage that as well to really pause and go, man, I've done, I've done good. How do I then nudge on to the next things yeah which is what you're talking about with the app as well right? it's like yeah it's we like it's human nature we like feeling good about you know it, it, it motivates us to do more so so that's really been the journey so yeah it hasn't been um and i don't think you know in the other people that i sort of work with as well i see the same like it's often not a lightning bolt moment it's often just this kind of things have come in and they've heard things or they've seen people or they've, you know, noticed things and then somehow it just all kind of joins up to the point where they will start by making some yeah. sort of change and then it will just kind of snowball from there. Mm. Snowball effect, yeah. Mm. Mm. Cool. So so nice to hear that, that insight. I would jump in another uh, uh, question from the audience, yeah. if it's okay. Yeah, of course. Here we have one question coming in, which is online shopping has made buying much easier mm -hmm. and hmm. makes us also buy unnecessary things. How can mm -hmm. we balance this? Mm. Yeah, so um, I, th I believe that one of the easiest things we can do is just to avoid temptation. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the easiest, probably more dramatic changes that I made was to unsubscribe from things like email databases you know like fashion labels that send out your marketing emails and go look at our all our latest you know latest seasons styles and like oh that's nice i quite like that you know yeah. or 
going to the mall, you know, and you just happen to walk past something and, you know, the temptation is real, right? And it's at our fingertips all the time now. So I think, you know, really going, is there, what's getting you on those sites? Is it that you're getting things in your aim in your inbox? Are you following pages on social media and you're constantly exposed to it? That's kind of making that temptation really tangible and really easy to access. In which case, is there a way you can just diffuse that a little bit? So for me, it was unsubscribing from a whole lot of marketing emails unfollowing, you know, the big brand stuff because they know man there's a trillion dollar marketing industry you know they know what they're doing and social media means that it's just there all the time so i if there's a way we can kind of get smarter to help diffuse that um in terms of what we're being exposed to and what we're being tempted by because you know we're not robots we're all temptation is real so if there's a way we can kind of decrease our exposure to it that that's i found that made a really big difference for me mm. That's a smart point. Like they really know what they're doing and oh, yeah. basically yeah. say, just try to escape this, this exposure to all that uh, information they throw at us probably, right? Yeah, totally. And another really easy tip as well is with the online um, shopping thing is I've, I've heard a few people do this is they'll put things in their shopping cart and then just leave them there for 24 or 48 hours, you know, and that allows you mm. that time to kind of, distance yourself, get that perspective, take that kind of pause and then come back to it and go, actually, do I really want it? Now that I've kind of broken, you know, broken up with that initial kind of temptation, do I still really want it? And, you know, if it's been there for 48 hours and you come back and go, yeah, actually, I really do, then, okay, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's mm -hmm. worth getting, but you'll probably find majority of the time when you get that perspective, you'll come back and go, no, I don't need it. <laughs> I like that. That's really, again, a, a hands-on tip. We all can implement that right away, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm gonna try that next week or next time. I, I'm gonna buy some. <laughs> um, yeah, we have another very interesting question here in uh, from the audience, which is basically one second. Um, so somebody is asking, I'm surrounded by people who are close-minded and think being eco-friendly isn't for them. Mm -hmm. From your experience, what is the best way to approach those kind of people? Will some people never change? <laughs> yeah well maybe um yeah so a few points on this one for me the first one is you do you you know i think it's mm. i i that was always my approach was always i'm just going to do what i think is right and i found mm -hmm. that what actually started my whole business was doing exactly that i just did me and i didn't push it on other people but people would start noticing and they'd start engaging in conversation going, oh, why are you doing that? Or I've seen you do this, can you, you know? So I sort of found that just by doing what you think is right, you're actually role modeling it and that in itself can is a really powerful change agent. Mm -hmm. um, another tip is also understanding, you know, sometimes, and it depends who it is, right? Like if it's someone like your family, maybe sometimes the message isn't, best coming from you like if you've got to have a lot of people who have teenage kids right and they're like my teenage kids just don't you know don't want to listen to me and don't you know kind of understand what i'm saying i'm like well maybe there's so many great documentaries out there you know why don't you sit down as a family and watch one of the great documentaries on netflix right because then it's not coming from you and sometimes that can be a lot more a lot more powerful so that can be a really good, really good tool. And I had a, a woman that I work with who she's like, her husband had quite a, a lot of stuff 
where she was kind of more on this minimalism kind of kind of bent and she's like he just really doesn't want to listen to me and i said oh look just the, the minimalism the minimalist minimalism documentary on netflix um and she's like oh yeah cool so she suggested it to him and he's like nah i want to watch it but i said why don't you just watch it and so she just sat down and watched it and he was kind of kept walking in and out you know of the lounge or whatever doing his thing and a few days later he's like so i was thinking about that movie <laughs> and he'd obviously oh, yeah. just been you know like he didn't want it forced on him he didn't want to sit down he wanted to do it on his terms but it was enough for, for it to start kind of filtering through to him that he he started changing his perspective on it which i thought was really cool um i think the other thing is really understanding what other people's why is you know which we talked a little bit about before so my husband's motivation is purely time so if i can come up with a solution that's going to save time he will be all over it you know and he'll really champion it so i know that so therefore it's like okay if i'm you know if we're looking at composting or we're looking at you know any type of change if i can prove and uh, you know if i can come up with a solution that's going to save time like the supermarket example as well then i know he'll be on board mm-hmm. and it comes back to that behavior behavior change aspect as well as it's got to be easy you know mm-hmm. so sometimes it's just a case of of making sure if you're asking anybody whether it's in the workplace or whether it's at home wherever it is just going okay if you're asking people to change how do you make it as easy as possible for them Mm -hmm. or as appealing as possible as well so i'll give you an example of a um a quite a large financial firm that i worked with um and they really wanted to they had quite a large number of staff and they they got a lot of takeaway coffee, right? So there are a lot of disposable coffee cups. So they had bought, as a Christmas present or something, they had bought all of their staff beautiful branded reusable coffee cups. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, cool, how did that go? And they're like, oh, you know, good, people really like them. And I'm like, how many people are using them? And they said, oh, maybe 20% of the office. And I'm like, okay, cool, but 80% aren't. Why aren't 80% of people using them? Yeah. And they said, oh, I don't know. And I said, well, just have a conversation. You know, it doesn't have to be formal. Just have a conversation and try and understand what the barriers are to people using them. And people, the main theme that came back was, oh, I keep forgetting to take it with me. Okay, mm. cool. So then they put a table of cups by the lifts and another table by the front door. So when people walked out, they were right there and they could pick them up and take them with them. of people were going to the same cafe over the road. So they also worked with that cafe to go, can we give you a whole lot of our reusable cups so that when our staff come over, they're there, right? Mm -hmm. Cool, that got another 30% on board. Okay, so what's the next barrier? Oh, people can't be bothered washing them. And it's really easy to get frustrated by that and go, well, that's just lazy, Mm -hmm. but that's reality, right? That's where that whole human behavior comes into it. It's really easy to go, that's lazy, everybody's got to wash their cup. Well, something's stopping them doing it and it's stopping Mm. that behavior Mm. change. It's too hard. So how do we make that easy? So then they worked with their cleaning staff to kind of incorporate that. The cleaning staff were like, it's going to take us way more time. So they said, oh, well, everybody's got rubbish bins under their desk. So won't we move the rubbish bins? Not everybody, you know. Mm. So they didn't have to empty rubbish bins. So they were happy cleaning the cups. So it's all about how do you, what are the barriers that are stopping people changing? So often it's, it's too hard or it's too time consuming. Um, how do you overcome that? And it's the same in, in your family, right? It's like, oh, my, you know, my, I've, I've got a compost 
thing in the kitchen, but my family doesn't put their compost scraps in there. It's like, we'll put the rubbish bin outside the door. If it's harder to get to the rubbish bin, they're way more likely to use the compost bin, you know? So it's all about how do you make the good behavior easy or the not so good behavior harder? Hmm. That's pretty smart. That's pretty smart. So you basically say it, it's two, there are two dimensions, right? The barriers, which should be reduced. And on the other side, uh, understand the motivation and what could be a, a motivation which is different for each and every one, probably. Um, yeah. yeah. It could be time, it could be uh, children, could be uh, the environment itself or, or living mindfulness. I take all that from your talk just to mm. summarize. Pretty yep, cool. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What, what do you think is the biggest barrier of all time. that? Time. 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 Mm. Yeah, Joe, that's the biggest. I mean, my, so my audience, I work with businesses, but when I work with individuals, it's predominantly female. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and yeah. so? what's that? How come so? I think it's females are the predominant purchase decision makers in, mm. in the household. So I think a lot of it comes from, from that. Um, Yeah, maybe it's also just I'm female, so it's more relatable. You know, in, in businesses and organisations, it's obviously either and everyone. But, yeah, and I think it's often that, you know, my, yeah, my most common, my target market, I guess if you want to call it that, is females with young children, school-aged children. All right, so, you know, they're often juggling work, kids, you know, home, all those sorts of things. So time is generally the biggest barrier, but it's exactly the same with organizations as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's time and it's resource. So how do you make stuff yeah. as simple as possible? Um, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, like you talked a lot about behavior. Now something changed the whole situation in the world at, at actually most places completely, which is COVID-19, right? The, the mm. pandemic completely changed how we're currently living, behaving, consuming everything. Yeah. How do you think, what, what's the long-term effect of that towards sustainability and, and towards sustainable behavior? Um, yeah, I... Well, I've kind of I seen... In New Zealand, it's, it's not that happening, right? So maybe it's a question <laughs> for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah, yeah. At the moment, it's um, yeah, it's it, it's it's still been really interesting, and we still had to go through that, you know, a period of lockdown and things. So, I I think, in some ways, I think it's it's made us realize that as humans, we're not in control of everything, mm -hmm. and we can't just keep going the way we're going. That's the kind of cautiously optimistic side of me is like, I, I feel like there's been a, a slight shift in, in mindsets around that. Mm -hmm. um, because who could have seen, you know, like the significance of it. I think everybody's just gone, what? You know, like I think it's, um, so I think in some ways it may have slightly altered thinking to go, okay, man, there's, you know, we can't just keep going how we're going and think mm -hmm. these things are out of our control. Um, in terms of what I've seen come out of it, I've seen two really different kind of streams come out of it, I guess, uh, in terms of the organisations that I work with, in terms of individuals, in terms of just general kind of um, uh, feeling, I guess. And one is, this is an opportunity to come back better. 
you know, this is a bit of a clearing of the decks. How do we do things differently? How do we put a lens of sustainability over everything we do? How do we, yeah, just really how do we build back better? And from a behavioral change point of view, the insight is also that times of, tra times of transitions are the most, are some of the most powerful times to, to change behaviors as well. Mm -hmm. So if you think about um, having a baby, or moving house or because everything's new and you've kind of moved so much up into that conscious headspace that we were talking mm. about before you're way more open to kind of go okay well let's just change you know let's just change more let's, mm. let's do things differently and i think there's a there's one kind of stream that we're really seeing really seeing that happen you know coming out of COVID, that people are like okay well man everything's changing so let's just change it and see if we can change mm -hmm. it for the better and 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 a, and a bit of a sustainability lens on that the other stream is just man you know we've just got to get through this and it's just really batting down the hell hatches and just do what we can to get by day to day and yeah. thinking about anything different just it, i just can't even can't even go there so in the work that i do i am very i've learned and i continue to learn is that I really go where the energy is, you know? So mm -hmm. if it's an organization, I have a conversation with an organization, I very quickly get a read on, are they into this or are they just, mm -hmm. eh, you know? Um, and so, and, and that's even more palpable after coming out of COVID because it's kind of like, okay, you know, maybe I had engaged with an organization pre-COVID, I engaged with them again, I'm like, man, you are not, now is not the right time to mm -hmm. be doing that. Um, whereas you get other organizations who are like okay man let's ride this wave because you are in you know in the right headspace you've got the right energy you're seeing this as a real opportunity for change mm -hmm. so I think COVID's just really kind of highlighted that even more that you've got people who are like seeing it as an opportunity for change and others who are just like it's just real day to day which I totally yeah. get mm. yeah yeah so yeah. then from a sustainability point of view it's like let's make hay over here because the sun's shining and you know the time will be right at another time you know for the other side but that actually means like if, if you say changing our behavior always happens when or or not always but often happens when, when things around us are changing mm -hmm. it could actually be a real chance to to make us uh, uh, change a lot of our habits right yeah. as we're currently in this phase of change anyway Oh, totally. And I think, you know, lockdown um, proved that as well, right? Because we had this great, well, I'm talking about New Zealand because we had lockdown and now we're out of it. But, you know, lockdown was like eight weeks, I think it was, where you had this great pause on consumption as yeah. well, right? Yeah. It's like, we can't go to the shops, we can't even, you know, you couldn't even buy stuff online. Like, it was just this great pause and, and it gave people you know, it forced people to change habits. It forced people, yeah. you know, like you look at the statistics from supermarkets on baking products, you know, everything went through the roof because everybody was at home baking and mm -hmm. there were people riding past our houses on bikes. And I'm like, I've never seen you on a bike before, you know, like it just forced, um, forced really different habits. So again, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that some of those will, you know, will, will carry on as well. So meaning that now is actually the time to rethink some of what we did before and maybe change to the better versions of all of us and, and implement it in our habits, right? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be, 
again, it's, you know, it, it doesn't have to be everything, but if we can just make things, you know, and continue to kind of, yeah, evolve that, then, yeah, awesome. Uh, I, I would have one, one last question and then we're already running on, out of time. You're from New Zealand, which is like really at the other edge of the world for, for uh, Europe here. Like, is there anything uh, particularly special about New Zealand and sustainability in our area? Something we could learn in Europe from, from, from you? There's so much special about New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, because you've been here, right? Um, yeah, look, I think on, from a sustainability perspective, we, so much of our brand and identity is linked to the environment, is linked to, you know, good, clean, green living. So I think it's, I think that we're a lot more, you know, we're really invested in it because it's such mm. an integral part of who we are and, and, you know, our tourism and all those sorts of things. So I think we're in, you know, a, a reasonably unique position in terms of that. I also think we're really lucky in terms of, and COVID has showed us this as well, that we're a small nation, you know, we're, we're about 5 million people and we can really galvanize behind things and we're quite mm. nimble. So I think that really, really counts for us. I think the challenge that, one of the challenges that we have, which is a flip side for you guys and the likes of Europe is we don't have scale like you guys do, you know? Mm. So if you think about that ripple effect of change, the ripples that you guys can get with you know such a density of population are amazing so i think you know there's advantages and disadvantages of both we're small we're nimble we're galvanized cool we've got quite a lot invested from an identity and a brand point of view um but our scale is really different um and that can be an advantage and or and a disadvantage um you know like especially if you're looking at things like infrastructure you know around recycling and and electric car networks and public transport and all those sorts of things that's a real struggle when it comes you know when we don't have the scale that you guys no. do so i think we have some definite some advantages but also definitely some challenges that we see in things like transport and things like that mm -hmm. mm. all right now super interesting really nice we are already like basically at the end of our talk if you had like three three things we could directly implement today, uh, you would give uh, uh, the audience today like what we what what should we do? You mentioned many times the little steps. Like, what's the three things you should take away for today? Yeah, I, I think the first one, um, which is probably the easiest as well, is just that whole flicking on that switch of consciousness so next time you go to buy something take that micro pause and go actually do i need it do i want it can i make a better choice mm -hmm. i my big focus i guess for this year just by accident has has become food waste you know food mm -hmm. waste is just such a i think it's really underestimated it's it's, mm -hmm. it's not a particularly sexy part of sustainability um but man it's a big deal you know and mm -hmm. and i think it's the simplest thing people can do is just waste less food, you know, composting and everything is awesome. Um, but, you know, just eat the food that you've got, you know, it's as, it's as simple as that. We always have a leftover night at, at our house. So one night of the week, it's just, it's clearing out everything that's in the fridge. It's normally pizza, throw cheese on top of something. And it always <laughs> tastes good, right? Um, so yeah, I think a really tangible thing um, would be food waste. And then I think the other thing is, which we just kind of touched on, is were there any 
you know, with COVID, with lockdown behavior, was there anything that changed that you can reflect on in your life for the better that you can carry on, you know, once we get to back to some level of normality. So, yeah. That's super good three takeaways for today. Thank you so much. Nick, it was a great session. Thanks for, for joining in and sharing your insights with us. It was great. And thanks also to the audience. I hope you, you um, learned a lot of things new and thanks for your questions. We are very much looking forward for the next session. And um, yeah, enjoy your Thursday.